0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of New Books Network, in which we talk about talk with previous winners of the Coleman Prize. Named in the honor of British business historian Donald Coleman, 1920-1995, this prize is awarded annually by the Association of Business Historians to recognize excellence in new research in Britain. It is open to PhD dissertations in business history, broadly defined, either having a British subject or completed at a British university. All dissertations are completed in the previous year of the prize are eligible. Today, we have Akram Benjamin, a recipient of the Colombian Prize in 2020, with his dissertation entitled Cotton, Finance, and Business Networks in a Globalized World, the Case of Egypt During the First Half of the 20th Century, awarded by Henley Business School, University of Reading. And I will add a link to the dissertation in the, in the notes. Akram. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Bernardo, so much for having me in one of, the, of these episodes. This is really an interesting start. So thank you for very much for the initiative. And uh, yeah, I'm um, I'm eager to have this conversation. Thank you.
0: Well, let's start Ekram with a little bit, if you tell uh, the listener a little bit about your background and how you became an academic because you come from a pro- practitioner Uh, background uh, banker and cfa so uh, uh, please tell us a little about that and how you ended up uh, uh, with this research
1: Yeah, so basically my journey to become an academic has not been an easy one i must confess i did my undergrad in banking and this was back in egypt my home country and straight away after completing my undergrad i went to the banking industry in the country but the moment I was finishing my undergrad, I I actually started to become interested in 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 how you answer puzzling research questions. How to how, how when you have some questions and then you try to answer these questions in a scientific way. So basically, I had the plan or the goal to earn a master's degree and then a PhD, but it wasn't that easy. So. I had to work for around 9 years in the banking industry until I could get a master's degree and uh, for some reasons I couldn't afford to do a master's degree on my own so I was waiting for a scholarship and then I got a scholarship in 2011 from the World Bank uh this was a program for uh, young professionals from developing countries who ha- who have some potentials to help the countries so I came to the UK and I started for one year at University of Reading for the master's degree in development finance. Uh, so I was trying to combine my background in finance with how finance can work for development. And, uh, I came across some papers and books while I was doing my master's degree on economic and business history. And at that point, I started to become interested in the, Long-term view of everything we we, we are doing. So uh, I was quite I started to become interested in, in in business history. Then after my master's degree, I had to wait for four years until I I um, um, until getting accepted in one of the PhD program. And finally, I got a, a PhD with a scholarship, a generous scholarship. This was from Henley Business School. So I started in 2016, and. Uh, when i started my phd and i told them look guys i'm 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 going to write a a business history piece i was warned uh, that this was this was going to take many years and my funding was just for three years uh and then my supervisors are two of the, of the very good names in the business history domain, Mark Casson and Lucy Newton. So I was thinking the work will be associated with the names, will be associated with my work. So I have to produce something good. And then I, I said, okay, I have only three years. So I was quite determined to finish uh, my PhD thesis within the time period, but without compromising quality. And it wasn't an easy journey When I started, you know, reading this letter, this classical literature on business history, I felt this field is quite uh, dominated by. what is, It's quite a wide field, if you like. You know, it's 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 mostly dominated by studies on Northern America and uh, and uh, and Europe. You know, with with starting with. Chandelers, you know strategies and these kind of things but i and the other and the other point that i i i noticed you know i i was quite eager to write something on countries and more specifically of egypt and the middle east and as as you know you, you know history writing in these countries has been almost under the shadow of imperial paradigm dependency theories and these kind of big themes so I thought, why not I write a business history account and just a pure business. And then when I said that to many people, they said, okay, what do you mean by business history account? Because. Yes, of course, you cannot isolate you know these firms and companies from the larger political context, you know. But I, I just thought, why I, I do not use some 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 established theory from the world from business disciplines you know, rather than writing a political theory. So this was my starting point, and uh, Egypt was quite an interesting case study because the. Uh, but the country was very well integrated into the world economy and during the first wave of globalization. It used to export cotton, import foreign capital, and additionally, it hosted a large number of foreign uh, uh, communities from different nationalities. So these were the three main themes, you know, I focused on, on uh, uh, in my PhD thesis. So uh, cotton commodities, you know, one commodity and the other one on a case study of one of the British overseas banks that served in the country at that time. So this is, a cor- this corresponds to importing foreign capital. And then for my third theme, I looked at the interlocking their uh, trade, so Egyptian joint companies, um, and the majority of these directors used to be local foreigners living in the country. So these were the three main themes I looked at. And uh, then after my uh phd unfortunately COVID came and i had to leave the uk back to Egypt. and uh, the only thing i could do at that moment is to go back to banking you know although i wasn't quite happy with this problem but end of the day you know i had to do something until you know this opportunity came at oxford and I joined last year be, be, earlier this year at oxford you know and this is how it came so my my career trajectory is not that is straightforward <laughs> if you like but uh, But I I enjoyed every moment of it, whether it was in the the industry or now in academia. And that's it. Thank you very much
0: for that. And what did winning the Coleman Prize mean for you personally and professionally?
1: It meant a lot because I was quite skeptical when I started my PhD. Am I able to produce a good work? You know, because end of the day, you have to come with a good narrative. You have to come with a good story. And uh, I wasn't trained to be a historian in my undergrad, and I'm not a native English speaker, so I I wasn't I wasn't quite sure whether I um, I'd be able to, to 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 come up with with a thesis, you know. And uh, almost I spent the three years of doing my PhD quite skeptical about the quality of my work. Does it add value to anything, you know, or not? So the moment I I knew that I while uh, that they won the prize this was a um, a very special moment to me honestly you know because this was quite a proof that i was going in the right direction so it meant a lot on the personal level on the professional levels on the professional level i think it opened some avenues for me because in the business and the economic history domain when i used to introduce myself to other academics and then i i, I say look i'm 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 a previous winner of the on my prize you know so this point, the conversations are starting to take a different, you know, different respect. Okay. This guy, yes, he's a pure business. He's a typical business historian. So it's, it's talk seriously now. So yeah, it meant a lot. Both levels. Excellent. And
0: so you think that it had open opportunities to network with senior scholars or expose your work to others that would not have otherwise been possible.
1: Of course, I do. Yeah, yeah yeah of course of course and uh, I know this wasn't part of the Commonwealth Prize, but actually the year before I graduated, before completing my PhD, I participated in the doctoral colloquium, you know, by you know by Aviash, and this was very useful. I started to do some networking, you know, and it was extremely useful to me. But then when I won the prize, you know, this opened further avenues. So yes, I I absolutely agree. Well, it was very useful to, you know, to open networking opportunities to me.
0: And um, well, you as you said, you 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 finished, and this was in the middle of COVID. Uh, did you have a chance to organize a competition the following year because there was a gap in 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 competitions, and and I think it was in your turn that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, but... no, unfortunately, no. I'm uh, probably. Was was there a, a conference in twenty twenty one? I'm not. I, I can't remember. It the was problem. the one. That, the one that was canceled. I think. Yeah, it was. But I think
0: remember um, was the reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then for the twenty twenty two and for some visa issues, unfortunately, I was in Egypt at that time, so I couldn't. I couldn't travel to the UK, so I wasn't there for the twenty twenty two competition. Mm-hmm. Of course. yeah. So and you decided to.
0: Publish your work as journal articles rather than uh a book why what was your thinking behind that that strategy and what would be your advice to you know uh people who are coming up or approaching the end of their studies and, and thinking what are they going to do um with with their work and how best to find an outlet
1: yeah i think i think we need to think strategically about our research outputs, whether we should go to the book route or whether to go for journal articles. But in my case, I spoke to many uh, academics that I do respect, such as my PhD supervisors, along with other, you know, senior academics, and uh, we kind of came to the conclusion that uh, publishing the work, my work, in a book might not be the best option given its, its very special focus on one country, you know, and uh, not everyone is interested in the Middle East and in Egypt. So, uh, and probably I might have some issues with publishers trying to find a good publisher to my work. So we thought we that probably the, 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 the better scenario is to go for journal articles, especially that I had three different themes in my PhD thesis. Yes, we connect together end of the day, but it, it's it's easy to break them uh, down to, to to several themes and several articles. So I took this decision to to go for the journal article. But just my advice to people who are or will be in in same place now. And the future is to think strategically and consult, you know, some senior academics because this is very important, especially when you start your journey. You do not understand the, the 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 system very well, you know. So you have to consult and try to understand what's going on, and until you you come to the idea of where to go with with with, with your output, with your research output.
0: You you given us let let's move on and and talk about your your dissertation. You've given us a little bit of a feel of what you were trying to do and you've talked a little bit about those three themes but i don't know if you would want to give us a um a more detailed picture with although with a big canvas of of you know what was the main research hypothesis that brought these themes together and then how those themes relate to that hypothesis or research question
1: yeah. Okay. So basically, my some I probably the period from the late nineteenth century until nineteen fifties, because in nineteen fifties, as um, as far as you know, you know there was a military coup at that time, and then foreign assets all foreign assets were sequestrated by Colonel Nasser at that time. So this marked the end of the of this era of. Of foreigners, foreigners and, and foreign entrepreneurs, and Freud firms in the country. So, in the three chapters, in the three main chapters of the thesis, in the first chapter, I looked at the cotton commodity market. This was quite a sophisticated market because it started in the Egyptian villages and ended in 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 in, in Liverpool, you know, and and, and and Manchester. So, how how this network? Interacted how the actors in the network interacted with each other. We had some, you know, farmers in the Egyptian villages, and then we have these export and import firms in Liverpool and Manchester. And I focused on export to the UK because this it was the largest uh, importer of Egyptian cotton at that time. So, and uh, I I borrowed theories from from economics. So basically, I used theories of coordination and information economics, ec- information economics, if you want i use the work of frederick hayek and George richards richardson um, both were concerned with what they perceived as the fundamental economic problem which is the coordination of economic activities and uh, in this case i viewed the, the the system the cotton system as a system that encompasses flows of, of information rather i didn't focus on the flow of cotton itself but the flow of information because Farmers in the Egyptian villages um, had to acquire information about what is required, what is is the most in demand, you know, in, in, in England for the cotton. And then... And then the firms, in, in, and then the exponent import firms in Britain, and third banks Britain in Egypt that used to finance the cotton cultivation had to, to remain informed about what's going on during this season, for example, about the cotton quality, about the cotton quantity. So basically, I mapped the network of actors as 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 flow of information through the network rather than the flow of cotton itself. So this was quite, I wouldn't say, novel perspective, but this was a perspective that hasn't been studied before, you know, how to coordinate works. And uh, the main conclusion from this chapter is that foreign banks were the main actors that coordinated information and even coordinated the, 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 the flow of cotton because they had the presence in, in Egypt and we had the offices the um, headquarters in London and we had the offices as well in Liverpool and Manchester. So foreign banks were the most important actors to coordinate these networks. And from this point, I went to the second chapter and I I took a case study of one of the largest overseas banks that operated in the country. And uh, this theme, as I said earlier, corresponds to to the idea of importing foreign capital. So I, I provided in at the institutional level, a detailed uh, account of what happened in cyberbank. They did the day-to-day, day-to-day activities, you know, how they manage risks. I didn't talk about politics or these kind of things. I just, you know, um, I just used principal agent theory. Um, I used some theories from IB, uh, liability of foreigners, uh, um, and, uh, and uh, internalization theory to understand why these banks came to the country in the first place. So, th- th- so this was a typical case study of the activities of one of these banks, and I argued that this is a representative case study because almost every bank in the country acted and uh, in the same way. They they used to do the same business. They used to have the same business model. So it was. Um, I argued that it's quite a, a, a representative case study. This was for the second team. Then for the third theme, I was was quite interested in on firms and entrepreneurs. And uh, as I said, the country used to larger host, a large large foreign uh, community from many origins, British, French, Jewish, Greek, Belgian. So I manually constructed a data set for the companies listed in the Egyptian Stock Exchange for three uh, turning points in all the in in Egypt modern history. And then I use social network analysis to try to understand why this network was for. Because if you look at the, of the, of the literature on public networks in, 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 in Europe and Northern American countries, you find that finance was the major point behind the, the the structure of the network. So banks used to be at the middle of the network because they they had to to um, to observe and the investments in other companies, you know, and uh, so banks were the most central actors in the network according to social network analysis. But in my case, banks were not that important. So basically, I argued that the the function and the structure of the network was mainly for maintaining coordination between various directors and various companies because these guys came from different backgrounds different countries there was no homogeneous business culture at that time so basically the structure of the network was for maintaining coordination and i i provided the evidence for that because most of the central firms in the network used to be Companies that were established by many business groups from different nationalities. So, for example, Jewish and uh, and uh, and uh, and the Greek business groups. Uh, um, in the past, they they hadn't uh, coordinated with each other. But when when the businesses started to grow in the country, they had to establish some joint companies just to maintain uh, to maintain coordination and preserve collective interest. And I argue that these entrepreneurs and the Capital they imported from abroad because they used to import capital from their home countries it was very important for the for the for the for the dynamics act for the di- for the dynamics of the of, of the Egyptian economy at that time. So this was basically my and they used theories of entrepreneurship. So and um, so predominantly I used business and economic theories. I didn't talk about politics at all, and uh, one of the drawbacks of my thesis, actually, is that I used uh, cosmopolitan evidence. Unfortunately, I couldn't find, you know, and and you, probably you are familiar with this problem, you know, when, when you do a archival research of developing countries, probably <laughs> there is an issue with finding sources. So I ended up relying on sources from London, most, mostly. So it um, I told the story from a cosmopolitan perspective. I wish I could tell the, 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 the other story from the indigenous perspective, but unfortunately, given the lack of peace or lack of sources, I couldn't do that. And uh, just to give you one example, actually, in Egypt, we, we have one of the oldest art, national archives in the world. It was established in 1830s, I think, you know, but for some security reasons, I couldn't access this place, although they had treasures in this place. But for some reasons, my application to access the archive was denied, given that uh, I'm, I was working in a foreign university, although I'm an Egyptian end of the day. So this was quite disappointing. So that's why I had to rely on sources from London. So I, I believe that if, if I had consulted some Egyptian sources, my thesis would have been much better. But this is what I could achieve at this point.
0: I yeah. you've done well with the dissertation nonetheless. Let me let me bring the the two last questions together a little bit because it's the third theme, the third theme in your dissertation yeah. that ends up as a as a as a very interesting um, yeah. journal article.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, how 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 was this? Because um, uh, you also have co-authored the article with other people that were not your. The dissertation supervisors so i think that's why i think that i'm bringing these two questions together um i guess there was some personal negotiation on, on this as well as moving what was a chapter in the dissertation to the level of a of a journal article how and the problem as you have pointed out which is uh, being able to tell a story without documental archives you know a business story when you have very little documental archive, so so how did this thing come, come together in your case?
1: Yeah, so the the final product of this journal article is much more improved version compared to the chapter that appeared in my PhD thesis. And uh, again, this is one of the things that came with Coleman Prize because, you know, <laughs> I had the opportunity to network with some very good scholars such as John Wentz and uh, we had this discussion about this chapter specifically I asked him about certain questions because he used to do some some similar works on the corporate networks in, in, in Great Britain and during the 20th century he had a couple of articles on that with 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 uh, with Anatalba and, uh, and uh, Emily, Emily bush yeah uh, so, from this point, actually, he, he, he started to show some interest in my work. And uh, and the, my project attracted him and attracted Naveen Abderhim as well from Newcastle University Business School. And uh, I said, okay, this this was the, my, the initial version I did for my PhD thesis, but let's take it from here and develop it further. So, yes, it was, uh, you know... We we, we we exerted much more efforts to come up with a final product of the article. Okay? And then one of the problems that you highlighted is the lack of, of of corporate archives. So basically you need to tell us you have to be innovative end of the day so, rather than just meaning that there were no archival records you know of these companies listed in Egypt and we said okay let's rely on the stock exchange book of the, of the of the of the of the country because this used to be a, a, an annual publication listing all companies and their directors in, in, in listed in the Egyptian stock exchange and uh, we used this data set, and then we complement the analysis with a large range of sec- secondary sources. And uh, I believe we managed to tell a good story, even in the absence of corporate archives. As long as, as long as your sources are plausible, and as long as your analysis is plausible and uh, in line, um, has some, has some, has some. Um, um, um does match what has been written before I do not mean that to have to agree with what the literature has said but at least it adds some grounds on on what has been written before so eventually you could do that So this is what one of the one of the pieces of advice I would give as well to, to to future researchers in business history do not just sit down and complain that I cannot find any archival material you, know, you have to be innovative in, in the sources you are using. So I think this is one of the things that the learned during my PhD and uh, while I was writing this article. So I, yeah,
0: I mean, uh, and at the same time, there are things that are left out. So, what sort of interesting doggets of information or of knowledge did not make the any of the drafts, or where you know are sitting there that if you had had space, you would have included in 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 your work.
1: In the paper or the PhD thesis itself?
0: Um, is there stuff that was left out of the PhD that you were able to include in the paper or vice versa?
1: Yeah, so basically uh, I wish I could have written something on the activities of other foreign banks in the country because I used the case study of the rich overseas mm-hmm. banks but I wish I could have written something on, on French and Italian banks, because they were very active in the country at the time. I, You know, I was just hoping to make some comparison between the business model compared to the British banks, because mm-hmm. as far as you know, British banks are very well known for being conservative, mm-hmm. risk-averse, and these kind of things. So I was just thinking uh, it, it would be nice to compare that to Italian banks, especially that uh, the secondary literature suggests that Italian banks were were much risk seekers at the point of time. So, but unfortunately, there was no space or no time for doing that. Right.
0: Um, so, what is what is your current uh, project at, at the moment?
1: So, basically, at the moment, I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the uh, Faculty of History, Oxford University, and uh, I'm working on an ERC-funded project in global correspondent banking it's quite a large project on the history of correspondent banking across the 20th century and uh, my part of the project i'm focusing on the relationship between correspondent banking and the financial crises. so um, if we if we speak intuitively um you would expect that the that there should be a network effect so when the network between banks were dense so, if if a problem happened, this would impact other banks in the network. So, I'm trying to establish this relationship, and whether these correspondent banking relationships help to fuel these crises or help to 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 provide some uh, 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 some persistence to the to the to the matrix the themselves. So, these are the, the this is the project I'm working on at the moment, and I'm focusing on war banking crises mainly, starting with the transatlantic uh, crisis of 1907 and ending with the 1982 uh, sovereign debt crisis in, 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 in South America.
0: Well, we hope that uh, you have some outputs from this uh, late project uh, soon so we can have you again at New Book Network. Akram, thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Nadu. That was such a great opportunity. Thank you very much for having me
0: and uh thank you to our listeners for being with us uh, today if you are a subscriber if you are a subscriber please rank us or, or leave a comment that is always helpful and if you are not a subscriber then do subscribe to our podcast series and this is all from us today thank you very much